So um, perspective is so important to have in life. And I want to read you kind of a letter that's a number of years old, but it's kind of funny. So a college freshman sent the following letter to her parents. Dear Mom and Dad, just thought I'd drop you a note to let you know my plans. I've fallen in love with a guy named Spike. He quit high school after 11th grade to start a band and got married. About two years ago, he got a divorce. We've been going steady for two months and plan on getting married this spring. Until then, I've decided to move into his apartment. By the way, I think I'm pregnant. At any rate, I dropped out of school last week, although my grades were horrible anyway. I hope to finish college sometime in the future. Then you flip the page over to the other side to continue the letter. Mom and Dad, I just want you to know that everything I have written in this letter up till now is false. None of it is true. But Mom and Dad, it is true. I've got a C- minus in French. Flunk my math. And it is true that I'm going to need more money for my tuition payments. Love your daughter. <laughs> Perspective's pretty important, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> very clever freshman. Uh, but perspective is everything. And, and, you know, perspective is important when you think about whether you're a success or a failure. And, you know, I, I believe in an audience like this that we have a number of people who feel like you're a failure. Some of you may even feel like you're a big failure because you've had people around you in your life. They may have been coaches. They may have been parents. They may have been friends or family members. They may have been teachers. But somebody you looked up to who have basically said things to you like, you'll never amount to much. You're really not very gifted. You really can't do anything well. Or maybe you... Uh, have taken risks and you've gotten, you've failed miserably and you said the, the pain and the ridicule that I've gotten because of that failure is just not worth it, so I'm not going to try anymore. If I don't try, I'll never fail. And maybe you compare yourselves to others and you feel very inadequate. You feel like you're unable to do anything well. So you become paralyzed by comparison because you maybe it's a brother or a sister, a sibling or a friend that you compare yourself to or friends you compare yourself to and you just feel totally inadequate. Now, on the other hand, I, I want to say to you that I want you to know today that no matter what anybody has said and no matter who you compare yourself out to be, if you think yourself of yourself as a failure, I want to convince you and I want to show you really what failure is. And I want to hopefully convince you that you're not a failure. You're not a failure. Now, some of you come in and you say, well, I don't have any problem feeling like I'm a failure. I'm not a failure. I'm very, very successful. And what I want to do with you <laughs> is I want you to do a self-examination because, you know, there are people out there who think they're very successful and they're failures. And so I want to really focus more on this area of failure. I'm not really wanting to talk about success, but we will hit on that, obviously, because we're doing contrast. But I want to talk about what is the truth about failure? What is the truth about failure? And, and the, really the idea I want you to take home this weekend is this. 
Just because you fail, it doesn't mean you're a failure. Just because you fail, it doesn't mean you're a failure. You know, failure, and and this is very true, and you probably already know this, but I need to say it to you so you hear it, and you need to think about it, and you need to focus on it. Failure is a normal part of everyone's life. We often think failure is a bad thing and it's, it's not a good thing and, and, and you know, we should never have, it should never happen to us. Everyone else seems like they never fail, but I feel like I fail all the time, every day. And, but yet I want you to see that failure is a normal, and, and use the word normal part of life. It's a normal part of life. Uh, let me give you an example. On August 6, 1999, a Major League Baseball player, he stepped up to the plate in Montreal, he struck out for the 500th or excuse me, 5,113th time. 5,113 times he struck out. Now, if you take those strikeouts and you divide by four, if he he was up to bat in in a normal game four times, and you put those strikeouts back to back to back, that would mean he would go 1,278 games straight Without a hit. Striking out. Okay. So was this player discouraged that night? No. Did he feel like he let himself down or his team down? No. Because earlier in that same game, that player had reached a milestone that only 21 other players in the history of baseball had ever achieved. He made his 3,000th hit. His name is Tony Gwynn. And he was... He played for the San Diego Padres. Failure is a big part of any sport. certainly was for Tony Gwynn, and yet he's a part of an elite group of successful baseball players. John Maxwell kind of gives you some options. He's written a lot of stuff on this. He says, when you fail, you can choose to do two things. You can choose to blame others, or you can take responsibility. You can repeat your mistakes or you can learn from them. You can allow failure to freeze you or you can have faith to take new steps. You can quit or you can persevere. So the first thing we need to see is failure is a part of life. It's, it, no, no one really, if you're, if you're living, if you're trying, you will fail. That's part of life. And maybe you failed this week. Good for you, you know. <laughs> but secondly, failure can be caused by sin. But not always. You know, we might experience failure because we, we give in to temptation, we willfully dis, are disobedient, and you will always fail when you willingly choose to not do God's will. When you choose to violate God's Word, you are always failing when you do that. When you choose to sin, you are absolutely failing. There's no question about it. Sin always is, uh, leads to failure. Um, but... Failure isn't always due to sin. There's always a consequence for choosing to sin. Uh, This is, you know, there's a a type of failure that is, you know, in sin is a moral or a spiritual failure. And that certainly is uh, a sin. Now, there are other kinds of failures, though, that have nothing to do with sin. For instance, for example... If you uh, are part of a business, you start a business and it goes bankrupt, it may have nothing to do with any sinful behavior. It's a failure. It's not due to sin. Maybe you had some childhood dreams that you were going to play in the NBA, but you're a, a senior in high school and you're five foot seven and 110 pounds dripping wet. 
you're probably not going to play in the NBA. That's a failure, but it's not necessarily due to sin. Maybe genes, but not sin. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of, of different kinds of failures that we had in life. Maybe you just finished a semester of school and your grades, you just had some difficult classes. You failed some classes. You had some bad grades in classes. Uh, that may be due to not working hard and not studying, but sometimes it's not due to that. Sometimes it's due to the, the, the course material is just difficult for you to, to grasp. It may be that you find yourself out of a job, not because you did anything wrong or you sinned, but the company has fallen on hard times and they've chosen to downside. See, failure is a regular part of our lives, and sometimes it is tied to our sins. And when it is, we have to take responsibility for it. But not all failure is tied to sin. Third thing we need to see is this. Failure may be, and I think this is important, a way for God to teach us something vital. When I was in uh, seminary, I needed a job. And we had just gotten back because Carol and I had really, we were were feeling that God was leading us into uh, Bible translation. So we went for a summer at the University of North Dakota to take linguistics with uh, SIL, uh, at at SIL with Wycliffe. And uh, we came back to uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I needed a job. And I thought I had a job, and then two weeks in, as I got back, they told me, oh, you don't have a job. And I had a little boy named Kyle, and he was a little baby. And I had a wife, and I had to get a job. And so they said, well, let's go down to um, UPS, because UPS is hiring, and they liked hiring uh, seminary guys. So I said, I went down there, I went through the first interview, went through the second interview, and they said, well, we'll call you. And they didn't call. I needed a job. And I said, Lord, here I am. I'm in seminary here. I'm trying to do your will here. <laughs> And uh, so they said at the, the chapel at the beginning of this, uh, the seminary for the day, they said, hey, uh, there's a roadway is hiring. And so I said, all right, I've got to do something. So I went down the roadway, and I was, I was in a bad mood. I mean, I was, I was a jerk. By the way, I talked about help. I'm a jerk last week. Well, I was like the jerk last week. Uh, I was uh, the last, I was, you know, roadway. I was the jerk. And uh, so I went down there with an attitude, and, and you know, God was gracious to me. And I, the, the short end of the story is I got the job. And I would go in at about 11 o'clock at night, and I'd work all night until uh, about 6 in the morning. And I'd get, get, walk in with my uh, coveralls into my Hebrew class. My Hebrew's not very good. <laughs> uh, but six months into that job... <clears throat> I was out there on the lo- and, and, and you need to know on the loading dock, if it's 10 below, it's 10 below on the loading dock. It's just, it's rough, cold work. And I was a teamster, by the way, if you're a teamster out there. Um, but I really loved that job. I worked hard, and the people I worked with were absolutely filthy. I mean, and not just dirty filthy. They were just morally filthy people. And I loved the job. I loved the work. I love being with the people and just trying to be a, a, a positive influence. But here's the bottom line. Six months into that job, I was sitting there going, man, I love this job. It's hard, but it's taking care, you know, it's 
paying the bills and I'm able to... And I was hearing stories from guys working at Roadway. And by the way, if you're any affiliated with Roadway, I'm sure that has nothing to do with here. But they were, they were feeling like there was a lot of pressure and they were just... And I wasn't. I was going home. I was sleeping like a baby and <laughs> working hard. And I just said, Lord, you're so good to me. And I remembered that day and I said, I was so arrogant. And I was so like, you know, I had my plan, my plan. And it was a failure. And God said, you know what, Matt, sometimes... I've got a plan that's even better when you trust me. And and the Lord taught me through that failure. Sometimes He wants to teach me other lessons. You know, there's an interesting passage in Judges, excuse me, Judges 119. It says, And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had iron chariots. Now, what's interesting in this passage is it says that the Lord was with Judah as he went against these people. And God gave him the victory, but not all the victory. In other words, what it says is God was with him and yet, and with the tribe, and with, with the, the soldiers, and yet they still failed. Because here's what we think. We think, well, if God is with me, I'll never fail. I don't find that in Scripture. In fact, I'm going to show you other examples where God is with people and they seemingly failed. The point I want you to see here is that sometimes God can teach you more through failure than He'll ever teach you through success. And some of you want to avoid failure like the plague because you say, oh, I don't want to fail because failure is a bad thing. And I just want to say, you may... Do your very best and you'll still fail. But you know what? God may teach you tons more through this failure than He will through ten successful opportunities. There are some things that God can teach you through failure that He can't teach you through success. I like how Charles Stanley uh, phrases this. He says, there's a difference between failing and being a failure. It is never God's intention to, to make us become failures. However... He sometimes allows us to fail today in order to bring us success tomorrow. God has planted in, in every defeat the seeds of your future success. Successful people are those who apply God's remedy for failure, humbling themselves before Him in repentance, surrendering to His will and His goals for their lives. For the believer, every failure can be a stepping stone to success. Well, how do we not be a failure for the kingdom of God? I want to look at probably one of the biggest failures in the New Testament. His name was Peter. And I want to look at Peter before the cross and after the resurrection. Two passages. So the first one I want to look at is found in Luke chapter 22, verse 54. You know the context. Jesus has been arrested. He's been brought in for these multiple trials. And he's in the midst of that. And I want to read you the context and and we'll get to the point here. They arrested Jesus and they led him to the high priest's home and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally she said, This man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. 
After a while, someone else looked at him and said, You must be one of them. No, man, I'm, no, man, I'm not, uh, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone insisted, This must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I don't even know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. <clears throat> now, Peter had said just shortly before this, I'll die for you. And Jesus says, well, that's nice, but here's what you're going to do. You're going to fail, and you're going to sin, and you're going to deny me three times. And, and, and in fact, the third time you deny me, a rooster is going to crow immediately right after you do this. And here it is right here. Now, this is what, what is absolutely striking to me in Scripture. And, and Luke's Gospel is the only one that has it. Look at what he says in the next verse. The rooster crows, and it says, at that moment... The Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Jesus is in the midst of this trial. He hears the rooster crow. He turns and their eyes meet. What was that moment like? What do you think you would have been if you had been Peter? What would you have felt like at that moment? Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. What Peter had done is he had failed. He had sinned. Why? And it's, it's how many of us sin. It's how I sin sometimes. We, and the principle is this, don't allow the fear of men to overcome your love of God. I think many times we fail because of this one thing. We fail because of the fear of men. And the fear of men overrules our love for God. Did Peter love God? Absolutely. Did he love Jesus? Absolutely. But his fear overruled his love. Peter is a stark example of the depth of our capacity to fail Jesus. As I look at my life, I oftentimes, oftentimes I, I, I fail and I sin because of the fear of men. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be part of the group. We all want to fit in. And here's the deal. We will fit in. We will do it. And we will fit in. We will sin to fit in. We will go ahead and sin just so we fit in. We will do that. So that's the first thing that... And, 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 and so Peter has to come to a point to acknowledge his sin, his failure, and deal with it. Now, again, this is a huge failure. I mean, you think about it. This is huge. But it doesn't end there. I want to look at Peter after the resurrection. So Jesus has resurrected. He's rose from the grave. And he's appeared to some of the disciples. And they're out fishing one day. And all of a sudden, they see Jesus on the shore. And Peter jumps in and he swims to shore. And they have breakfast with Jesus. And then I want to pick up the passage. This is John 21, and I'm down at verse uh, 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. I, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Here's the point that I want every one of us to hear, because I think this is so absolutely important. Because you may have walked in today and you thought, I feel like a failure. Maybe you're a mom and you say, I just feel like a failure. Don't allow your past to determine your future like Jesus. Don't allow your past to determine your future. Let Jesus determine it. If Peter had stopped and said, okay, that's it, I'm done, I failed, it's over. But what is Jesus doing here? What Jesus is doing here is He's saying to Peter, acknowledge your past, learn from that failure, confess your sin, but you're not done yet. You're not a failure. You failed me, but you're not a failure. And there's a big difference between the two. Some of you have dropped out of following Jesus because you feel you're too bad to be forgiven. And I just want to say to you, that may sound really humble, It's pretty arrogant. Because what you're essentially saying to Jesus as He hangs on the cross is, I've just committed a sin that's beyond your grace. It's beyond your death. Your grace, your death, your blood can't cover this sin. That's pretty arrogant. What Jesus is saying to Peter here is, Peter, you failed me terribly. There's no question you failed me. There's no denying that. But I'm not done with you yet. I still have a plan for your life. You're going to be a leader in this thing we call the church. Don't shortcut the role of repentance for restoration. See, you have to come to a place where your sin becomes so real in your life and you take responsibility for it and it drives you to your knees because if your sin never drives you to your knees, you'll never get over your sin. And I think what Jesus was doing... You know, there's a, a lot of debate here about this three times because Jesus, Jesus uses two different Greek words. And it's interesting and it's kind of... But, and they make a point. They say, well, Jesus is using the high word of love and Peter's using the low word. You know, do you love me, you know, like agape? And no, I love you phileo, like a brother. And do you love me agape? No, I love you phileo. And Jesus goes... Well, do you, re- do you even love me phileo? And, yes, Lord, I love you phileo. And they make a big point out of it. I don't think it has anything to do with what he's saying. Okay? I think John's maybe using it for a point. But I do know this. And the text tells us this. That what Peter was upset about was not the Greek words that Jesus was using. It was that he asked him how many times? Three times. Why? Because Peter denied Jesus three times. In other words, Jesus was saying to him, do you understand what you did? Are you willing to take responsibility for your failure? He wasn't trying to make, just to make Peter feel bad. He wanted Peter to understand the depth of what he had done. He wanted him to come clean with his sin. He wanted him to repent of of where he was at. He wanted him to take ownership and responsibility. And Peter did, ultimately. And so that's the important thing. You see, sometimes your failure is due to sin and you have to take responsibility for it. And by the way, there are consequences to sin. 
Some of you have limited what you can do for God because you have sinned in a way that has taken certain options off the table. But I just want to say this. Don't let your past determine who you are. Let Jesus. Because what Jesus was saying to Peter, you're not a failure. You failed me, but you're not a failure. You have a responsibility. Feed my sheep. Don't allow your past to determine your future. Let Jesus. Let me just say one last thing. I want to talk about the greatest failure of all time. The greatest example of failure in a probably of all time in that day was the cross. Think about this. The religious leaders thought it was a failure. The Roman soldiers certainly thought it was a failure. The criminal on one side of Jesus thought it was a failure. The people mocking Jesus thought it was a failure. The disciples thought it was a failure. Where were they? They all ran away. Even Mary sat beneath the cross and said, I don't understand. I didn't expect this. This is this wasn't was this can't be part of the plan. This looks like failure. His death was seen as a great failure. But because of his death, we have forgiveness. Because of his death, we have victory over sin, death and the devil. Because of his his death, we have the promise of eternal life because Jesus gave His life for us. We have life. Right? We, what do we wear? Some of you are wearing one today. You're wearing a cross around your neck. Here's what I want you to do. Go to the jewelry store. And this would be a nice thing for, my, to, for your mom. Okay? Just, I just thought of this. a great Mother's Day present. Here's what you do. So you, you go to the, the jewelry store and you say... Okay, I know you have these necklaces with crosses on them. I don't want the cross on there, though. I want a hypodermic needle or an electric chair. Do you have one of those that we could put on there? Because that's the modern-day equivalent of the cross. What was the cross? It was the most brutal way that you could execute a criminal. How do we execute criminals today? Lethal injection in the electric chair, right? So it seems to me that you ought to walk around with maybe both. I don't know, right? People, people would look at that and go, what is that? It's an, it, 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 is, it is a, it's a syringe and an electric chair. And you'd go, hey, that's so messed up, I don't even want to ask why you're wearing that, right? But what is the cross? That's what it is. It's our symbol of hope, Right? Isn't that crazy? We're wearing the thing that killed Him as a sign of our hope. Why? Because His death is our only hope. And it was a great failure. But it wasn't. Because in essence, it was Genesis 3. He will strike your heel. But the Messiah, Jesus, will strike the death blow on the cross. I just want to say this 
The cross basically says this. His failure in the eyes of the world is our only hope. It's our only hope. And I want to say this to you. Maybe you're, you're here this, this morning and the jury's still out. You haven't made a decision about Jesus. You don't know what you think about Him. You don't know whether you believe in Him or not or believe in God or not. I just want to say, to this, say this to you. The only way that you will be a failure for eternity is by rejecting Jesus, your only hope for heaven. And if you continue to reject Him, you will get your wish. You will be left to yourself for all eternity. And there is an eternal failure. And that is an eternal failure that you do not want to live with. I, what I'm saying to you is this. I want you to walk out today and I want you to deal, look at your failure and say, is this failure due to sin that I have done in my life? Or is it just part of life? Does God want to teach me something here? Some of you have been, you feel like you're a failure and you've allowed other people to dictate who you are and, and, and how you feel about yourself instead of allowing God, allowing Jesus to say, you failed, but, but you're not a failure. And as long as you're drawing a breath, you have an opportunity to serve Him. I want you to hold your head up, but I want you also to take your sin seriously. Because what Jesus is saying to us is we will all fail. Sometimes, our, always, when we sin, it is a failure. But that doesn't make us failures. We can confess our sin. We can ask for forgiveness. And Jesus will put us back into the game. Let Jesus determine whether you're a success or failure. He does a better job than the knuckleheads around you that tell you we'll never amount to much. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the examples we have in Scripture that failure is a part of life and we can learn from our failures and that our sin is always a failure, but there is forgiveness when we acknowledge, repent, and confess our sin to You. Thank You, Father, that uh, Jesus uh, can forgive us and that our hope is tied to what the world saw as the greatest failure of all time, but turned out to be the greatest victory of all time, of all eternity, our only hope the cross and the resurrection. And so, Father, may we see examples like Peter who failed miserably, sinned terribly, but was forgiven and was recommissioned by You. And if there's anyone here today, Father, that has been sitting on the sidelines because they think they're, they're too far gone, they've committed too much of a sin, they, You could never use them. May they reflect upon Peter. For those that are here today, Father, who feel like they are a failure because they failed, would you show them that they are your sons, they are your daughters, that you love them very much, you love them so much that you sent Jesus. And may they take their news of whether they're successful or a failure from you. 
and not from others. May they hear what you think of them through your word and your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.